Each new challenge also provides a new opportunity for us to reinvent the industry and reconsider ways in which we've done things in the past. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate each and every day. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Jessica Music is a principal in the Oakland office of KTGY, an architecture firm she joined in 2004. Since her start at the firm, she developed a diverse portfolio and plays an integral role in establishing the design vision and carrying projects through design approvals. Focusing on urban infill mixed-use projects, Jessica believes that architecture should be deeply rooted in a community where it sits, responsibly responding to client goals, community needs, and the urban context. Having served as lead designer for residential and mixed-use developments, Jessica's experiences have given her the insight that good design is a product of many factors and puts priority on communication, process, and understanding project economics. Jessica, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Good morning, Vladimir. Where do we find you today? Where are you? Are you working from home like the rest of the world or I, I, <laughs> hybrid, I, I, hybrid um, model, perhaps? <laughs> I am and have been for the last, what are we now, 11, 11 months. So yeah, I'm just enjoying the rainy weather from our home in Lafayette, California. Great. Excellent. Excellent. So Jessica, by way of introduction, um, tell us a little bit about you, know, you, your firm, how long you've been in the industry, you know, your, your area of focus. Yeah, no, uh, of course. Um, so it's interesting because my arrival at KTGY and the number of years in the industry actually um, are one and the same. I joined KTGY the summer of 2003 as a fresh, energetic, young college graduate. And, you know, at the time, KTGY had one office in Orange County, California. Okay. And so I I joined after graduating Cal Poly and you know, it was just a great place to learn and grow as a young designer. And it was a firm that was large enough to, you know, allow different paths to navigate and kind of find my spot. So, you know, the first, I would say almost half of my career was spent in Southern California. And then, you know, we all experienced a a giant recession. Yeah. And (laughs) right before the recession, our, our firm had just opened up our Oakland office as well as a Denver office. And we all kind of hunkered down and I, I was fortunate enough to, you know, keep my position through that recession. And then, you know, coming out, there was a focus to really grow our firm differently and, and build talent around locations of, of offices, as well as areas where we were doing work. And so in 2000. I guess 2013, 2014, the opportunity arose to lead the high-density design studio in our Oakland office. Okay. And, you know, it took me a moment to kind of decide to to take that opportunity or not. It was definitely enticing, but definitely a a growth opportunity for me personally. And I think kind of that opportunity, along with the, actually a project that we had going on at the time, it was an RFP that our firm was participating in with EAH Housing uh, for an affordable housing project in Emeryville, California. 
our team was one of 12 uh, development teams that submitted. And then after this kind of extensive design effort and an interview with the city and the community, our team was actually awarded the project. And it kind of opened my eyes to different housing types in the Bay Area. Yep, yep. Our firm had definitely participated in affordable housing projects. Up until that time, though, I just had not had that same opportunity. Yeah. Basically, that, that opportunity gave me a deeper introduction to the Bay Area. Just all of the complexities of designing and building community kind of what's set within an urban fabric. And, you know, I think that project, along with the opportunity to lead, you know, the design studio in our Oakland office helped me make that decision yeah. to move from Southern California to to the Bay Area. Yeah. And this kind of work, is this uh, something that your firm specializes in? Or maybe a better way to ask that question is how much of your firm's work is focused on the area that you're specializing in? Yeah, it's interesting. So our Oakland office focuses on, on, on a variety of housing types. Actually, our entire firm really does. Everything from master planned residential communities to urban infill projects. We have a big focus in student housing, right? There's a lot of components when you're a firm of 400 persons with six offices across the country, three here in California, Oakland, LA, and Irvine, and then moving east, Denver, Chicago, and Tyson's Corner. Yep. So we cover a lot of a lot of ground and have kind of this residential rooted expertise and uh, as well as planning and retail. Yeah. Yeah. So I you know when I when I came up to the Oakland office, we were just emerging from from the recession and things were really getting exciting kind of here in the Bay Area. So I would say affordable housing was one aspect of how of my plan for growing our portfolio and you know helping shape shape the work that our office was was participating in. I would say market rate, transit oriented were all also big components. And then, you know, it's we just live in such an interesting area and sure. we have this ability to focus on different scales of projects. You know, anything from a super tight urban infill, um, you know, in downtown Oakland, high density project to multi multi acre master plan in some of our outer tier, you know, Bay Area yep. communities. Yep. Yeah. For you personally, uh, you know, were you, you know, interested in doing housing design work when you were, you know, still at school and kind of contemplating, you know, how to get into architecture? Is there like a personal story of, you know, you used to, you know, draw houses or apartments or something <laughs> like that that kind of drew you to that area? Yeah, that's 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 an interesting question. I think I, I knew when I graduated, I wanted to do something that was really tangible and personal yeah. to me. Um, residential gives you that. Right, it's something that is just so relatable to any design, honestly, any any human. Right, the this idea that we could that I on a daily basis could be participating in shaping people's memories, you know, providing shelter, just giving them that space that they call home, that area of refuge. That that was very enticing to me. Yeah, I enjoy the variety of scales that residential design offers. It was probably the most relatable section of architecture that I could think of, you know, upon graduation. And it's also where the opportunity was. 
It kind of all worked out, yeah. <laughs> it did, it did yeah. definitely worked out. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So when you and I had our conversations sort of before this recording, you know, two things came up that we, you know, wanted to talk about and I think that you wanted to focus on was, one was this kind of angle on affordability, but also sustainability. And these are two terms that I think, especially in the Bay Area, have been, you know, very resonant o- over the last decade. Let's kind of start from the beginning and kind of, you know, you know, you know tell us sort of how how you perceive this, you know, how this came to, uh, you know, how, how you came to understand these two sort of terms. And and let's then, you know, move it towards sort of where, where it is today. Yeah, so I think, you know, the, both of these terms really started ta- to take on more meaning for me personally upon my arrival to the Bay Area. Yeah. And, you know, up until that point, I, I had done a lot of work up here. Our, the way that our office was structured in Irvine is is you kind of focused on regions, but regions, but everybody sat in the same location. And then, as I mentioned, kind of coming out of the recession, we just looked at growth of office and, you know, talent differently. So when I moved up here, it just became so evident. And and part of it was, you know, I, I know how to participate in this effort of actually finding housing for myself and my husband. <laughs> yeah. And so it becomes very, it becomes very personal. Yeah. So going through that effort, as well as actually working on projects that were so rooted in these Bay Area communities, right, just it started to create the definition of what affordability and even sustainability meant for me. I think just getting a project entitled in any of our Bay Area sure. com- communities is so extremely challenging. Yeah. And and I would even argue that we live in one of the areas in California where it's the most challenging. Just the cost associated with that effort, you know, that our clients are faced with, as well as just the endurance that it requires for that development team, client and architect and the entire consultant group. It's like no other place. You know, you take that that effort and that process and you kind of overlay it on some of, you know, our region's just diverse topography and yeah. geography. Yeah. I mean, we, we live around a body of water and then, you know, moving kind of outward, <laughs> that land that surrounds that water is then kind of bound by, you know, mountain ranges. That makes for an interesting topography at determining where you can build housing yeah, yeah, it's very it's really interesting. Yeah, it's and it's very limiting. Uh, number one, number two, right? I think there's a there's a lot of interest groups also that are you know uh, putting their own input into the process as well, right? And it becomes a difficult time. And I think the word you use, you say stamina or something like that, is is exactly mm-hmm. what 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 you need to to mm-hmm. uh, endure. Yeah, I think you know those are just a couple of the things that can kind of contribute to some of our regional complexities, I think, right, you could, we all know about the, just the rapid job growth we have seen over the last, you know, six to eight years, and, you know, all of that kind of compound compounds and you have this competition for housing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, that that contributes to this idea is, is something affordable or not. And, and for me, affordability almost means kind of having a choice, of where you live, you know, within your means, of course, but without significant compromise. And I think what we have found for our Bay Area residents is that you're choosing, you're choosing between, you know, grueling commutes to find, you know, affordability or potentially settling for 
dilapidated or, you know, unsafe living conditions or neighborhoods? Does your housing choice offer equitable access to community resources? You know, all of these kind of considerations are what I think about when I think about affordability and is something truly affordable. What level of compromise does that does that come with for either, you know, our, our team members working in our KTGY office or the residents, future residents of the projects that yeah. we're designing and building? It's all related. Yeah, yeah. And what role for you does sustainability play in your design and the work that you, know, you guys do? Good question. You know, California and Bay Area specifically, right, there's almost this convergence of crises. You know, it's a slack of affordable housing. And then that gets kind of layered in with, um, you know, some worsening natural disasters, yeah. wildfires, just totally exaggerated by climate change. So for me and for really any resident living in the Bay Area, these last few years have meant dealing firsthand with climate change and disaster. Our existing housing supply has actually decreased <laughs> as the fires are destroying homes yep. and entire yep. neighborhoods, right? I think we're just affected now by months of smoke and rolling power outages. This last fire season that we experienced in 2020, I think we were two times greater than, you know, what the region had experienced in years years prior. Yeah. So, and the idea of sustainability in our work, it, it's not a new concept, but it has taken on significant meaning and emphasis because, you know, these concepts that are so real to everybody. We are all, we're all affected by them. Yeah. It's, you know, more than it was, you know, the right thing to do. It's, we are, we are absolutely undeniably being affected by climate change and I think we have a role as architects, designers, planners to, you know, make these, make the concept of sustainability and resiliency kind of top of mind to yeah. every, every project that we approach. Has this also made an impact on, on sort of how your firm views what it does and how you guys are organized? It does. It does, actually. And, you know, even before this crazy year that we all experienced in 2020, our firm, KTGY, had committed to AIA's 2030 action plan. Okay. So what that is, is basically a commitment that our firm has made. We, we signed the AIA 2030 commitment letter, and we have committed ourselves to develop an, developing an action plan around achieving 100% carbon neutral buildings by 2030. Okay. And so this is a commitment and an effort where you put actual steps in place for all of our team members to basically embrace, practice, and, and execute upon. Essentially, we're working to combat climate change through our kind of internal education as well as, you know, education for clients. We're also using energy modeling and just taking a different approach to advocacy. I mean, you can imagine this is a big lift for any large firm. Yeah. Right, to, to kind of step up and try to reduce predicted energy cost across a nation with a wide range of clients and building types and across different cl climate zones. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big commitment. And I, I should say the AIA 2030 commitment, it's not a new concept. 
it is one that has been out in the world um, with firms, you know, over 700 firms across the nation participating. But it has taken us just a moment to strategize around how we participate in this and how we really jump into this commitment with all of our energies at KTGY and how we really develop this plan around, again, educating our team members and kind of delivering upon this commitment. 2020 was a year like none other that we have experienced, and it definitely has reshaped us, uh, to put it mild, to put it mildly. And I think there are events and topics that will permeate all of our discussions moving forward. So I think architects and planners and, you know, everyone across the industry is really trying to understand what role we play in some of these topics. I think if we've learned anything from 2020, it was if there is a crack, it has now been exposed and exaggerated. And so that goes for natural disasters, climate change, social justice, health and wellness. Just think back to all of the the things that we experienced in, in 2020. So I think, you know, for KTGY, we're trying to understand our role in all of these, both within our firm, but also in our profession. So if we take one of those topics like, you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion, you know, where do we start? So we've been really analyzing kind of what our responsibility is as firm owners to bring diversity not only to our firm, but again, to to the profession. And, you know, one one really cool thing that came out of 2020 is we started a virtual summer internship program. And for as long as I've been at KTGY, we have had summer interns. And this year we could have easily said, you know, let's just, let's just kind of cool it. Let's kind of call it quits. Let's put it on pause. And it was actually our CEO who kind of stepped up and said, no, I think this is important. We, we have a commitment to our profession and let's, let's use this as an opportunity. And so we actually had 16 interns from 11 different schools for a six-week kind of intense training on design, studio culture, business of architecture and planning. And it was pretty powerful. Never, never have we had that level of just diversity with the students, you know, across, across all of the colleges, you know, when they don't have to physically sit in your location, you're able to get that kind of diversity. And yeah, I think it just was a way for our firm to kind of have conversations that were open and candid and, you know, kind of invest in the profession, you know, these, these students development and just make sure that we're contributing to the architecture and planning profession, that there's not going to be this gap in several years of, of talent because people have either moved away from the profession or didn't make it through the courses or just aren't, potentially aren't graduating as, you know, equipped and ready to enter the profession. And this matters. It matters. It matters for the architectural profession and also just development industry in general to continue to kind of nurture nurture this talent and, you know, to bring diversity to it. Sure. My obvious question that comes to mind as you're talking about this, Jessica, is, you know, how do you affect that with your clients? I mean, you know, can you, do you feel that you guys have enough of a, the ability to push back on some choices that your clients may make in this area to actually, you know, make some of uh, that change? 
Yeah, and I you hit it right on. Uh, that is where both the opportunity and the challenge lies. Yeah, and honestly, that is why this is a long term commitment because <laughs> yeah. to move right. the needle on this topic right. and yeah. to move it again across the nation, not just California, not just the Bay Area. You know, California makes some of these things, these changes. A little bit easy on us with some yes. of the policies that cities and regions, you know, are just naturally the state are putting yeah, into place. some laws and stuff, yep. But, you know, there's other regions where these are going to be harder conversations. And we'll find out what it really means to our business yeah. as we start to put some of this plan into practice. Yeah, interesting. And, yeah, I think for certain clients, you know, nonprofits, affordable clients, this isn't a new concept to them. They're already doing it. They've they've made those commitments for a long time, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, their their own internal goals and alignments, but also, you know, some of the funding sources and mechanisms to which they're, you know, funding using to fund their projects. Yeah. It will get interesting as we bring some of these comp these kind of ideas and strategies to market rate clients. And it will be a heavy lift, I believe, on our part to really show them why it makes sense, uh, why it makes sense to their portfolios, why it makes sense to their, you know, bottom line dollars for their projects. Yep. That's where we have a lot of work to do in terms of both educating ourselves and sharing that knowledge, you know, back to the world with, with our clients. Yeah. And persuading everybody this is the right thing to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Just just invite them to California in August. <laughs> the, the, right. Yeah. Well, between August yeah. and like November. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. So one of the things, you know, when we started our company back in 2007, you know, this kind of, you know, green movement at that point in time was still, you know, at its very kind of nascency and this sort of sense of sustainability really was limited to, you know, having three waste baskets in your office, you know, one for recycling, one for trash, and one for something else, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but that's evolved, right? And I think like anything else in life, these concepts evolve. And I think, you know, when you started your work, the concept of affordability and sustainability evolved into where we are today. And you guys are, you know, you know, committed to the to the AIA plan, right? Where do you see kind of this arc going? You know, where where do you think that these two concepts will will evolve in the in the next decade? Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that it's just part of our conversation that it's not it's not seen as anything novel, mm -hmm. which I think we're kind of in the middle of that now. I hope that the entitlement processes and things just involve energy modeling and we're getting we're getting into kind of this health and wellness of our buildings just much quicker than we have in the past. Right. It's interesting. I just, I think at some point we have to stop being shocked by the kind of events that are occurring around us, uh, whether it's climate change or the plethora of other, other topics we've seen arise from 20, 2030 and just start developing plans around how to address them. Yep. And I think we'll start to see some actionable steps. I think we'll see some results of our efforts. And, you know, and I think even with the 2030 plan, um, the AIA is already recording, reporting results. Okay. 
right? Our our buildings across the United States, we we consume about 40% of kind of the, you know, the nation's power. We have a responsibility as designers to reduce that, um, to leave less of an impact. I think once there's more and more participation and, you know, more data, I think that's where, you know, these topics start to become very convincing and they're just a part of our dialogue, a part of our conversations, you know, the way we talk about other pieces of development and architecture, I think, um, you know, to be considered good design, it's going to be both about aesthetic and kind of the inner workings of our buildings that we put forward, you know, both as architects and planners, but also, you know, the development community as a whole. Sure. I think we're going to be changing the definition of what it means to be good design, award-winning design. Yeah. How is that going to manifest itself? I mean, is it going to be through, you know, materials, different building techniques? Could you offer us a perspective on some, you know, concrete things that in your design will 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 be evident that, that you know, that this is happening? Yeah, I think it's going to be all of those things. I think we're going to be looking at more renewable resources and, you know, those conversations are already happening yeah. in in California, um, when you've probably had some of these conversations with some of your other panelists or podcasters. Yeah. But right right now the there's a lot of dialogue around cross laminated timber, mass timber, and this ability to build higher, build more intensely with a renewable resource. And so, right, the kind of changing the outlook of a concrete high-rise building to looking at how do we use, you know, mass timber or cross-laminated timber. And that's a design thread that is being explored by by a lot of different architecture groups, firms. It's not a new conversation to other regions of the country, but it it is probably a very relevant topic right now in California. So, for example... We were just awarded an RFP, actually in in, in Emeryville. <laughs> so yeah. this is kind of the follow-up project, right? This is kind of the follow-up project, and we partnered with EAH, and they brought us to this project during this past summer of 2020. And you know, I really believe the reason we were awarded this project was because of EAH's commitment to progressive, innovative um, construction technologies. Yeah. And so what we're proposing on this project, and it, it'll, it will be both a senior and a transitional youth project, and it's about, we're about 60 units, but we are looking at using a cross-laminated timber base. And then we have, the way that we have set up this building is that it could be both, or it could be either stick-built above that base, or it could be modular, which offers extreme flexibility for EAH as we're designing the project to make sure we have a handle of the most efficient delivery method, as well as the most cost-effective delivery method. And then the other component that they have committed to is our parking solution. And so we are looking at incorporating a lift parking, I'll say tower, Although that word would be scary to the community, it's a it's a <laughs> yeah. it's a five to seven story uh, stacked parking metal framed tower that yep. sits in the corner of this project, and it takes in the footprint of about nine spaces. We can park about uh, I think we're around thirty cars. Sure. Yep. And the idea is that at a later time, 
that parking solution could be disassembled, um, repurposed, recycled, moved off-site to a different EAH project, and in its footprint, in its place, we could come back in and construct additional residential units. Okay. And so, again, just this idea that we could be doing this project greener, we could be taking advantage of some of these design technologies, we could be thinking about how to reuse and repurpose pieces of our own building. It's really exciting for our team. And, again, just another way that affordability and sustainability kind of align. Yeah, yeah. Are there things that your partners could also do? So, you know, companies in the engineering, sort of construction, you know, other areas that are that are sort of part of that, you know, process that they could also contribute in this in this endeavor? Oh, absolutely. I think the more integrated our development and consultant teams can become, the more uh, the more we can move the needle. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to again to think about great design just being kind of a beautiful aesthetic. Great design wants to be, you know, also include the inner workings of these buildings, um, which involves our structural engineers as we're exploring these different construction technologies. And it involves our mechanical, electrical, and plumbing consultants as we're looking at different building systems, you know, to address things like the rolling blackouts and, you know, to really get our carbon emissions down. It involves all of us to, you know, to select the appropriate systems and then to also, you know, disguise those systems (laughs) in a way that still make these buildings, you know, fantastic design, beautiful designs. Yeah, yeah. Some of these things that you described, you know, seem to be kind of, you know, one-offs at this point. And I remember back in the day, you know, about a decade or so ago, you know, a lot of things that are standard today in terms of like, you know, you know, LEED certification or things like that, you know, seem to be standard these days. Which one of these things do you think going going forward will, you know, definitely be part of the part of the process that that maybe right now are kind of on the on the fringes? I think mass timber and cross-laminated design solutions will become a part of a process. I think that it will be considered at the very beginning of a project the way you might consider building in type 5, type 3, or, you know, even type 1 construction. I think it will just become another another option for designers, you yeah. know, kind of in California, Pacific Northwest, and then kind of across across the country. So I think that's one. I know you've had some panelists speak about modular construction and our firm is is definitely involved in that as well. We've got, oh gosh, I think maybe 19 different modular projects oh, wow. going okay. on right now. Are they concentrated in a certain geography or sort of spread out? They're spread out both in Southern California and then here in the Bay Area. Majority of them at least right now are actually in um, steel modular. Okay. But we have a handful of also wood modular projects. And again, I think that delivery method is is probably a big part of our future as we move forward. And the industry has seen modular before. It's it's not new. Yeah. But it has definitely been one-offs and it has definitely taken time to stick and become a real option for yeah. our clients and the development teams. But I think we are seeing the momentum behind that. I think we're seeing the traction. Um, we'll see if there's any economic hurdles <laughs> that that start to stand in our way. I think the last time modular was being explored, you know, we had a giant recession that just stopped everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. So as long as things can start, keep pointing in the right direction, it, it feels like this, you know, we're already seeing it become, again, a normal part of the conversation as opposed to these one-offs. I think almost all of our projects, residential projects, are at least being evaluated for modular construction. And we're using terms internally like making the project modular ready okay. to a yeah. point where yeah. our client can make a decision yeah, of the best course of moving forward. So again, I think some of these construction technologies that contribute to the sustainability of our of our projects are just becoming, you know, more common language, which is encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It is. Jessica, as you look into not just this year, but as if you look into sort of, you know, three to five years out, kind of what concerns you, right? And then let's end with the with the voice of hope as well. What what gives you kind of hope that, you know, things are going to be just fine? We're problem solvers. So, uh, you know, architects, planners in general tend to be problem solvers. And so, though there's always concerns in the back of our heads, I think we tend to be a more optimistic bunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, because we're, con- you know, we, we take challenges and we want to find solutions for them. So, you know, I think what gives me hope is that, you know, I'm constantly surrounded by a profession and an industry that is adaptable, innovative, um, just really great group of people. Yeah. Um, with a common interest of pushing, yeah, pushing things forward, pushing initiatives forward. So I think just the professional collaboration. Um, anybody who who navigated the, <laughs> the the original recession knows that there's you know always a an outcome. And so, yeah, I think if things give me hope, it's it's probably more that we're seeing our industry change. We're seeing people adapt, whether it's construction innovation, whether it is ideas around sustainability and affordability. Yeah. I think those things, those collaborations, the pushing of the envelope to make progress is, is really what gives me hope. Great. Excellent. Well, Jessica, it's been great connecting with you. Best of luck in the near future and uh, stay safe. Thank you. 